0: Hey everyone, I'm Jebin Marshall and in this very first episode we're heading down to visit one of the most unique and beloved places in all of Virginia. It's all coming up next. (laughs)
1: Theater has been uh, part of the Richmond community since 1928. The Coulter and Sama families uh, built the Bird Theater. Uh, none of the Bird family was ever actually involved uh, with the Bird, uh, something that's. Um, it was named for William Bird II, of course, is one of the founders of, uh, of Richmond. Uh, and actually, if you look at the original uh, blueprints, uh they originally planned on calling it the National but um, they later renamed it to the or the State. I'm sorry, I meant state the, state, the yeah. state. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, if you look at the original blueprints it was orig- they were originally going to call it the State Theater. Um, and I believe there already was a State Theater at the point that they finally did open uh the, uh, the theater and so it uh they named it uh the William Byrd. The bird was built as a movie theater. It's never been anything else. Uh, A lot of people just sort of assume because they don't have that concept of a time period when movie theaters were supposed to be really special places to go to. um, They were just like, oh, well, this was something else. It was a live theater. No, it was built as a movie theater. If you wanted to see images of things that happened outside the borders of your own life, the movie theater was the place to go. Not just for entertainment, although that certainly was a primary factor, but also newsreels, travelogues, short subjects. Uh, these were all part of the whole um, movie going experience. Um, and the Bird Theater was right in the heart of that. The Bird Theater also was built, 1928 is sort of special because it puts us right between the beginning of the sound age in 1927 with the release of The Jazz Singer. Uh, as the first commercial talkie, and of course the beginning of the Great Depression in 1929. So we sort of feel like 1928 the bird was probably the last year that a theater uh, as ornate or as opulent as the bird could have been built. And, um, uh, and so, uh, the, and also it was the first sound theater to be built in the state of Virginia. Understand by twenty-eight, there were certainly other theaters which had added sound system, but the Bird Theater had a sound system, actually two different ones on day one. Uh, you know, obviously, if it were practical for us to charge more, uh, you know, we certainly would. It's not like we don't have bills and we don't have expenses, sure. and it would be easy for us to double our price and still be competitive uh, with first-run theaters, if the first-run theaters were our primary competition. But we're they're smart. not. We're not competing with the first-run theaters. No second-run theater these days is competing primarily with, uh, with the first-run theaters. They're so far off of our map mm-hmm. that they might as well not exist. I mean, we certainly know that they're out there. If somebody has the means and wants to see the current hot movie that just came out this week, they're going to go. And there's no way that I'm going to capture that business from them. But if they want to wait, if they still want to see it in a big screen environment, that's what I want. There's the whole concept. Obviously, there is a goal in mind here. We, we have renovations that we'd love to do. There is the Bird Theater Foundation, which is uh, you know, 501c3 that we'd like to raise money for. From our standpoint, from the standpoint of our long-term goals, from the standpoint of keeping the bird theater in the Richmond community, it makes much more sense for me to have uh, 400 people in the door every night at $2 a head than 200 people at $4 a head. It just the more people we have through the door, the longer the bird's going to stay in the Richmond community the lighting in here is as much a part of the design as the plaster work and the painting and all of the other decorative accoutrements. It's even supposed when, to be a little bit different. Absolutely. Okay. Even when even when the bird theater was new, it was supposed to look old. It was supposed to give you the feel of an old place. Uh, you know, an old, venerable, stately place, and the lighting is absolutely part of that design. There is no white lighting in the auditorium at all. Oh, wow! All of it is indirect. All of it is amber, uh, blue, and red. That was part of the original design. Um, uh, we've we've even had I had a very highly uh, irate woman one day who. <laughs> who said, when were we going to get rid of all of these gaudy colors and go back to the original white? And I'm like, "Um, (laughs) it it wasn't originally white. And she's like, oh, I'm sure it was. And it's like, no. As a matter of fact, the reason that we know that is because those places where you can actually see the bulbs, obviously uh, there are colored bulbs. But... Um, the majority of the lighting in the auditorium except for that from the chandelier is in these little coves and those are white bulbs they are in they have little clamps and holders on the front of them with colored glass roundels in front of them and that that I mean you know that's the way that we know that this this lighting design uh, was was part of the original design we also know it because there there are a handful of people around who were still here then
0: okay so Todd, are you, Bill, and and Bob always just swinging from the rafters to change these light bulbs on a daily basis, Um, or how does that happen? you got to tell us.
1: Changing bulbs is a significant part of what we (laughs) – there there doesn't seem to be a day that goes by that there aren't – uh, bulbs to be changed uh, somewhere. Um, there are things which have gone longer times without being changed. I mean, obviously, we try to keep you know, the the, the ones that you can see in the wall sconces and in and, um, and the, the tronclery windows on the side uh, changed. But for example, around the dome up here- Unbelievable. There are, there are about um, 650, 680 some bulbs up there. And all of those had not been completely changed probably in some 20 years or more. Uh, the last time that we changed it, it might have even been like the, the late 50s. We certainly found light bulbs that were from 58 really? uh, and so forth when we were, when we were changing. Uh, they had not been completely changed. And it took two crews of two about two and a half days to change all of them. Because Is it
0: scaffolding? What goes well, up there? No, no,
1: no. The- in order to get to these, there is actually a catwalk, which makes it sound like a lot more, it makes it sound a lot more convenient than it actually is, because you picture a catwalk, oh, you walk around, you reach in, you screw the bulb. In order to get to this, you've got to lay on your side on the catwalk, and you've got to reach up underneath the edge yeah. of the plaster, and then you've got to reverse your hand and come back to where the actual Light is, but then it's not like you can get at the bulb because there's that whole glass rondelle. That's what the color comes from. So there's a little knob you got to loosen. You got to rotate the whole thing. You got to snap the lens out. Then you take the bulb out and you put another one in. Then of course the lens has to go back in. Then you repeat it about 680 times. Uh, what you're looking at um, is uh, is almost uh, you know 17, 18 feet tall. Uh, it's um, it's a lot bigger than it actually looks. Um, when we lower it, um, as we do about every three and a half years or so for relamping and a light dusting. Um, Even with the ball at the bottom level with the tops of the seats, the neck of the chandelier still goes well up past the balcony rail where we are now. Uh, It is a lot bigger even than it seems. It's about 2.5 tons and over 5,000 individual pieces of Czechoslovakian crystal. Oh, my goodness. Over 500 light bulbs. Um, The last time that I had anything to do with lowering it directly, um, Bill and I, it took us maybe about 15 minutes to get it cranked all the way down. And all day long, everybody, it's like when you have the chandelier down, it's like a message goes out to the community at large. Everybody yeah. knows chandelier at the bird's down. There were people in the building taking picture, video of it, talking about it, all day long, all the way up until the time- It's it was on the time, Times Dispatch yeah, front page. Exactly, and- uh, all the way up till the time it was time to crank it back up. And then amazingly, everybody was gone, except Bill <laughs> and I. And it took us like an hour and 15 minutes yeah. to crank it yeah. back up after which we just sort of lay panning like dead fish oh, on it. The, yeah. And then the next year I hired a couple of young, strapping young men and let yeah. them let them do the cranking, which is... Well, it uh,
0: shows I, you're I a smart man. to only do it once. <laughs> <laughs> just do it once. <laughs> now <laughs> that, that's, now it,
1: I can say that I've done it, and uh, that's the thing. Uh, another thing, it's easier to appreciate from this angle that you can't really... The two smaller chandeliers that mm-hmm. are in the, the boxes on the side, are actually uh, scale replicas of the main chandelier?
0: Before we go in and talk with with Bill about the projection room, tell us briefly about the history of the the harp and where has that been there since day well, one?
1: Yeah, the harp and the piano have both been here since the beginning. Now, the harp is uh, is simply decorative. Um, it's never actually been a playable instrument in its history here. It's just been uh, on display. For years, and this is the danger of telling things that you just <laughs> assume uh, instead of actually knowing about, it. for
0: years. Go ahead and turn the cameras off. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: For years, we actually did tell people that it was a Wurlitzer pedal harp because that's what we had been told. Right, yeah. It's a Wurlitzer pedal harp. And then this woman from the Netherlands contacted me who for whatever reason has made it her life's work to track down every, <laughs> every Wurlitzer pedal harp still in existence. And she said, I want a picture of the soundboard and the serial number from it. Oh, man. And so I crawl up into the box to take a picture of it. And I'm it's like, okay, this doesn't say Wurlitzer. It says Lion and Healy. And oh. she immediately lost interest. And, and then the funny thing is, is that we actually had a jazz harpist, Park Stickney, Uh, He did a a concert here, I mean it couldn't have been more than three or four weeks after that. It's like after years of telling people it was a Wurlitzer pedal harp and finding out that we were wrong, he walks in the building (laughs) and I go, yeah, this is a harp. I said, "We, we were always told that this was a Wurlitzer pedal harp, but we just found out. And he's like, no, it's a Lion and Healy. It's like, well, where were you years ago? We needed to know. But we do know for a fact that it, it has just been decorative the whole time uh, that it's been here. It actually has a crack um, in its soundboard. And just the fact of how long it's gone, even without sure. that, without the fact that it's gone so long without tuning means that it basically is lost to us as an instrument. But uh, the reason. Uh, I mean, the, the decorative reason that's sort of there, if you see the platforming that it seems to be sitting on, uh, is actually an instrument in and of itself. That's uh, underneath that cloth is a marimba or wood harp.
0: Really? I've which never is, seen
1: that. Which is actually part of the Wurlitzer uh, installation and can be played from the keyboard there. As is the piano. The piano is not decorative. <laughs> Uh, it has an action in it very much like a player piano. Uh, it's got its own vacuum blower. It's, it's uh, separate from the main blower that, that fuels the rest of the instrumentation in the organ installation. And the keyboard of the piano can be played from the console uh, of the organ. Both these things have been here since the very beginning. They were part of the organ installation, part of the original uh, theater installation from the very beginning.
0: So we wrapped up with Todd and it was so great to talk to him because you could just tell that the bird's history has become his history. And uh, so that it's really neat to see somebody pour themselves into uh, what they do uh, that much. Then we went up to meet Bill, the uh, head projectionist and building superintendent. He started in 1986 with the bird and he quickly became one of the few people that had all the secrets.
2: I think I've got them all. <laughs> no. Well, don't share all yeah, of them. Just share a few well, of them with I'm, us. I'm dinner. keeping something so they'll yeah. miss me when I retire. Oh, there you go. But just wear a really thick,
0: re, wear a really thick shirt on your last day, and then you may not only take some secrets with you, you can uh, take some items with you as well.
2: <laughs> nah, mm-hmm. I don't want anything. <laughs> Every, everything I've, everything here, I've had my hands on enough. When I, when I leave. You just I don't to w- your I'm gonna walk away and right. come, come back and pay to see a movie. This machine is a, a Master Brennograph Model F7. It's a dual uh, slide projector and effects projector. Its primary use, at least for the first several years that the theater was open, was screen ads. Now, for those who think screen ads are new, yeah, They're far so from it. I mean, I have information at home that goes back to 1915 in a book that describes how to sell screen ads to your business neighbors <laughs> and the f- local funeral home and, and the equ- equipment that you'll need to uh, get them on the screen reliably. It's been in use its whole life. I mean, it, it's never been out of service. And it, when after screen ads sort of faded away in the 50s, uh, it was used as, um, as a small spotlight, um, uh, just highlight lights in the auditorium. Um, it's a very versatile machine. It can, you know, anything you can shine a light through, you can put into it. It'll handle uh, slides from 35 millimeter to uh, 9 by 8. These are the second generation here. The earliest ones uh, were replaced in the, uh, early 50s they were replaced in 1953 mm-hmm. just ahead of the introduction of Cinemascope. Um, replacing the projectors wasn't absolutely necessary for scope uh, but it gave the, the newer machines gave better light, more light on the screen because of a uh, much different shutter design. Um, and these have been here since 53. Uh, the people who were here before me left records, most incredibly reliable machines I've ever seen. They've, um, they've never been rebuilt. They've had, you know, maintenance and an occasional part replacement, but for 56 years, they've run every night. I mean, how many millions of feet of film?
0: And, 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 and it's amazing
2: things in 50 years and all the
0: different components that go through it look at this entire exhaust system that goes all the way through
2: yeah, the, unbelievable the exhaust system takes away the heat from the lamp there's a 3,000 watt uh arc lamp wow. uh xenon arc uh, short arc lamp inside of the lamp housing and it makes a lot of heat i mean it's uh, the envelope temperature on the bulb runs at around 1800 degrees.
0: Take us through an, an evening at the bird. I mean, you get here at, at what time or whoever's running the show gets here at, at what time and they have to run what sort of tests or is it such old hat now to where people know it and
2: they just put faith in that it's going to work? Well, one, once you are trained and you know what you're doing, yeah. I mean, you you just we ask them to the, the projectionist to be here around six o'clock for mm-hmm. a seven fifteen show. That gives them time to get here, um, get the film ready. If, you know, if if somebody had to leave early the night before, you know, didn't have time to rewind. That, that, that's okay on occasion. Uh, rewind, get the film ready, um, put it on the machine, thread both machines, and be ready to roll. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Well ahead of the show uh, of showtime, turn the lights on at 6:45, and uh, you've got a few minutes. You've got a half an hour to um, sort out what you're going to do. Unless
0: and, you're doing yeah. a midnight show, and then people get really rowdy, and you got to. Well, yeah. You guys are safe up here from the rowdy
2: crowd. Well, the midnight, the <laughs> midnight people are certainly a, an entirely different group, yeah. uh, and we let them have a good time. If, if you know, it's part of the. Part of the mystique of the Midnight Show is it's a little rowdy. If you want to come in serious, you know, see a serious screening of, of the movie, don't come to a Midnight. Not here, <laughs> right. not anywhere. Else I can because, vouch for that, yeah. Because the audience ex- expects to be allowed to be more than a little raucous. This is a lot and a huge light I mean, board. At one time, every theater. Mm-hmm. Especially stage houses had something like this backstage. I mean, in big theaters, would have something as long as this room and two decks high. I mean, there'd be a catwalk up here for the guys who were working Mm -hmm. the 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 top bank. I mean, you can go out and hunt and find pictures in old theaters, like Radio City Music Hall, the Roxy in New York. The big theaters had gigantic dimmer boards mm-hmm. today one person does the whole thing i mean you you get a routine down it, it's busy right at the start of a movie but it's offset by the hours of stark boredom once once the movie's on the screen you've mm-hmm. seen it a couple times and uh the main thing you've got to do is stay awake <laughs> uh, frankly when i'm here and i'm i know i'm really tired i won't sit in the chair i'm going <laughs> to perch on that stool because uh-huh. that way when you start to go to sleep, you'll fall off. It hurts. <laughs> Early movie is on these three, on these three reels.
0: Whoops. Oh, I guess That's the late the movie's not part. happening yeah. anymore there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's, I mean, that movie is two hours and 17 minutes. It comes in uh, on more or less 2,000 foot reels that are, are this size. You cut the leaders off. Now, did you build this, Bill? This rack? No, I'm not going to take claim for that. Todd built that. It's got a little angle on it. <laughs> you, you know, we thought we were going to be able to put a rack of these things on it, but actually, it didn't turn out to be quite strong enough. But uh, <laughs> it works well for what we for what we use it for. Usually, it's full of small reels. Oh yeah.
0: Well, some of the nicest places in the world are held
2: together with duct tape, so I wouldn't worry too much about it. <laughs> the screen ads are now on a digital slide projector mm-hmm. uh and the old machine over there we use as a spotlight and occasionally somebody will come in and say hey, it's my wife's birthday my husband's birthday who can you put a slide up for that well it takes a while to do to, to do the thing digitally mm-hmm. i mean if you really if they're not going to be real picky about it, somebody with nice handwriting or printing <laughs> can take a piece of glass, and and do it by hand. Mm-hmm. We we draw. I mean, I had somebody uh, seven or eight months ago wanted to do one, so we just we made the circle on the piece of glass. This is where you need to write it, and he wrote uh, "Happy Birthday to His Wife" on on the glass. Beautiful, oh, wow. beautiful handwriting, and. We put it up. Oh, that's great! <laughs> but so that's it's th- quick and easy to do. A lot more, a lot easier to do than it is to make a. And that's one of the great, great things. Slide, great things we, about the bird. You well, can, you, you, we've made a point, made a point of, hanging on to as much of the old technology as is practical. Mm-hmm. I mean, some things have gone because. You just couldn't do anything else with them. I and mean, we, had, we had a beautiful old uh, carbon arc follow spot, but you couldn't get carbons for it anymore. I mean, we don't have enough space to have an antique that doesn't do anything.
0: Yeah, I guess it's probably not even <laughs> yeah. profitable for people to to even manufacture these things anymore. So no. a lot of those things are going the way of the dinosaurs,
2: right. too. Well, uh, we would have loved to keep it, mm-hmm. but uh, I found somebody who wanted it and gave it to him. shipped it to California. Wow. <laughs> So, (laughs) it's a 300 pound box. There's a a picture on on a website of the warehouse facility of one of the major uh, exhibitors. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are rows and rows and rows of film projectors sitting outside. Lenses, lamp housings, everything. You know what they're doing? They've got a 30-cubic-yard dumpster aren't there. Oh, no. they're, they're throwing them in just as fast as they can load them up and haul them to a scrap metal yard.
0: You're breaking some people's <laughs> hearts right now. You know that?
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah, everybody hates to see it go. I mean, I, I like the, you know, the machine certainly got more class than the digital, but yeah, it's history. Yeah. Keep one and you know, for as long as you, you, you can reconcile yourself to having it, and then it's got to go
0: spoken like a true veteran. Well, let's go down and talk to Bob here. It's yeah, been a pleasure.
2: Catch him. Oh, All right. Thank you.
1: only a handful of theaters left in the country that uh, at which you can still hear uh, a true theater organ uh, played on a regular basis. And the Byrd's organ is a true theater organ. It was designed specifically for this building. It was designed specifically to allow uh, the theater's house organist to act as that one-man orchestra to accompany silent movies, which were still a significant portion of the day-to-day product when the theater opened in 1928.
3: My name is Bob Gulledge. I'm the house organist of the Bird Theater. Uh, I do the organ feature on Saturday night. When people come to the Bird, they expect a little more than they're going to get at the local theater at the Strip Mall. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's always fun to watch new people who come in who've never been here. And believe it or not, there still are a few. And and particularly, uh, you know, younger children. uh, And they hear that the lights go down, the curtain drops, the house lights dim. And there's this very grand introduction. And uh, that first big bass note sort of rolls across the floor. And they sort of, you can... can, uh, I like to say they can feel it in their rear ends. They know something special is going to happen and then all of a sudden this very grand console, this this massive piece of furniture on the lift sort of rises above the orchestra rail and uh, we try to make it a very special, you know, 12-15 minutes.
0: Remember the very first night that you had to play? I mean, to get on something this magnificent, obviously you have played for a long time. Uh, were you nervous the first night you played here? Fell to
3: pieces. <laughs> it was, uh, I, I was fortunate enough to take lessons on this organ uh, really? from Eddie Weaver. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, it, it was a great uh, joy to me to be able to take lessons from a man who had actually done this in the heyday. Mm-hmm when you know all of the theaters had these organs at one time there were 19 of these organs in the commercial zone of the city of Richmond you know now there are three and only two of those are playable wow. and only one of the two is an original installation which this organ is this is original to the building uh, 84 years old. Did Eddie
0: Weaver Play at all three locations, when, or all, or did he play at more locations than just here when he was playing around He's town?
3: Probably best known for the time he spent at Lowe's Theater. Lowe's, okay. Uh, he moved um, here to the Bird in, uh, I think it was 1961, and stayed until 1981. So he was at the Bird for 20 years, but he was um, uh, he was at the Lowe's for much much longer time. A lot of the big theaters. Uh, for the organ feature, if it was to be uh, a uh, a solo performance, mm-hmm. wanted the ability to move the console to center stage into the spotlight uh, for for the performer. and then, you know, of course, they had to run the movie, so they had to have the means to move it back out of sight. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original theater organist uh, was not only played, the accompaniment for the silent movies, he was also the sound effects man. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Which is why, you know, you you really dig into this console, you'll find things like bird whistles and train whistles and cowbells and, you know, horses' hooves and airplane mo- motors and they're, they're all of thunder machines.
0: Really? They wow. used it for thunder? Sure,
3: it? sure, yeah. I can believe There are thunder pedals in there, so you can make thunder roll mm-hmm. across the hall. A wind machine, so you know if there's a storm on the screen, you know one man in the pit could you know create a thunderstorm inside the theater. a lot of the theater owners with uh, with the coming of talking pictures stopped making payments on their organs Uh-oh. so a great many of these organs were repossessed and broken up for church organs or funeral homes or even some residence organs it, it was really interesting uh, when you didn't just go down to, say, Corley Company, which was, you know, they were the brokers for Wurlitzer in town at the time, but you didn't just walk into the store and say, I want to buy an organ.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: you went through the dealer who sent a set of the architect's plans for this building to Wurlitzer, and their designers and engineers designed and scaled. Oh wow! So An organ, all of these were custom installations. They had to compensate. The acoustics of the building with that dome uh, plus they like I say they came to the game late they wanted something bigger than anybody else Mm -hmm. had so they added two more sets of pipes one more manual or keyboard Mm -hmm. the other big organs in town only had had the three so this one had to have four (laughs) and to really make it special there was the addition of the piano Little kids will say the ghost plays. But I do get, you know, questions once in a while. Somebody will ask me out in the lobby, how do you keep up with that player piano?
0: Okay, so for the bird regulars out there, I wanted to ask about one thing that always makes a big impression, and that's the mirror ball. I wanted to know how that became part of the light show.
3: I have no idea when that thing showed up. <laughs>
0: It was just here.
3: It was just here. I came back in 1996 and that thing was sitting on top of the console and it's
0: uh and you had to use it because it was already it is
3: it is ingrained in the audience uh we have one engineer here that i joke with who says that uh really the uh organ here is to provide accompaniment for the uh light show including (laughs) the mirror ball all the character and beauty of the theater, it's the organ that really gives the theater its voice.
0: Yeah, I think so. Uh,
3: you know, I'm, I'm very proud to be, I certainly won't be the last, but, you know, I sit on a bench that in 84 years has only been occupied by 13 people. And I think that's, uh, that's, that's a, uh, a real testament to, you know, the city and its commitment. You know, you know, Richmond loves its monuments and its history. And uh, and for a city that's eaten up with all of it, you know, they still recognize, uh, this audience still recognizes the bird as a very special place. And uh, we still have a very appreciative and growing audience, not just for this building, but for this organ, even after all this time. So it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's a real, honor and uh, and a pleasure for me to be here. So a few weeks before this video was
0: made, um, I found out that Bill actually passed away.
3: Um,
0: And I think Bob's words resonate really loudly. Bill was one of the the few people who have kept the magic of the bird alive. And he is one of hopefully a, a long list of people in the long run that will keep the magic alive at the bird. Um, Bob also said something that really speaks loudly to who they are, to what they've done. Um, Here's a guy who drives two hours every Saturday night just to play for all of you. Um, These people do it because they love it
3: nobody is going to get rich in this business it's uh, you know this is something you do because you love it and you know when you get into basically what is a uh, a a commercial dinosaur Mm -hmm. which this building is uh, uh, it will only survive on the goodwill Mm -hmm. of of people that that really love the place Mm -hmm. i've been in a in and out of here on and off for the last 42 years, but you know, even today, after all this time, you know, there, there are very few places I would rather be than just right here.